Yeah, I'm going to record this. I'm going to record me watching you read. <laughs> How many notes did you take on Temple of Doom? One, two, three, four, wow. five, six, seven. I was viewing one, then one. <laughs> Hello, Secret Movie Clubbers, and welcome to Defend This Movie 10. Now we're beginning the next series of Defend This Movies. We're now in the the 10s. And returning from Defend This Movie number one is the man who really created this idea, uh, Steve Grest. And if you want to, if you're interested, you can go back about a year or two ago. We did Defend This Movie 1, which was on, on Her Majesty's Secret Service, a James Bond movie I love that Steve Grest thinks is trash trash terrible it's not bond and you were like we should do a podcast on that and you should defend that and so steve is the one who invented this podcast so welcome back steve thank you and you really took me to task on what we're going to do today you texted me today we are going to do a defend this movie on steven spielberg and george lucas's indiana jones and the temple of doom the middle of what some of us consider the Indiana Jones trilogy, but not accurate anymore because there are five of them and Crystal Skull now is already like 14 years old, but it was the second. That's probably the better way to put it. It was the second Indiana Jones movie. It came out in 1984. It was so dark and violent in a way that it created the PG-13 rating. Interestingly, there's a bit of a theory that goes with Indiana Jones movies that the odd ones are good and the even ones are not so good. I happen to love Temple of Doom, so I'll be defending Temple of Doom in this Defend This Movie. And Steve, you wrote me from, where were you? At a hotel or something? What's the story on this? Oh, I think, yeah, I think I was in a hotel and I, I was looking for something to watch while I was, you know, laying in bed before I went to sleep. And I think I stumbled upon probably, you know, this movie maybe like 20 minutes in, watched for like 20 minutes and decided to go to bed, but caught the very tail end of when it's still a decent movie and went into dovetailed into a piece of garbage and i uh, when is that for you uh, i think when they get on the elephants out of the village yeah and willie's putting perfume yeah and steven yeah. spielberg's uh, up encouraging. until there up until then it's 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 pretty good it's pretty entertaining but that was where it took a turn for me that's pretty early in the movie and so yeah i think i texted you and just said i demand that you defend this movie i i'm taking up the challenge yeah. so there you go defend this movie 10 indiana jones and the temple of doom as always, Secret Movie Clubbers, you can find out about everything we're doing at secretmovieclub.com. You can write us a community at secretmovieclub.com. By the time you hear this, we'll be beginning, I think, our January uh, to March winter season, Q1. Please check out. Go to Eventbrite or go to secretmovieclub.com. Editor Connor here, just popping in to let you know specifically, this Saturday, January 14th, we continue our Alfred Hitchcock The Master Series with a double feature of his Best Picture winning Rebecca and Foreign Correspondent. That one didn't win Best Picture, but uh, it was nominated in Illustra Rebecca. On Wednesday, January 18th, we have a new event. We're showing a Spike Jones cornucopia, music videos, commercials, documentaries. Specifically, I know we're showing Beastie Boys documentary that he did with Ad-Rock and Mike D of the Beastie Boys which is great. And then on Thursday, January 19th, we are showing the first of our two Jackass events. We're showing Jackass and Jackass number two. Speaking of Spike Jones, who co-creator of Jackass, that's all we got this week. It is always a pleasure. Uh, I've said this many times. Steve and I 
we met at USC when you and I were both juniors, yeah. juniors, like 19, 20 years old. We were in a 310 class together. We also had to take auxiliary classes that we found ourselves in. And you and me and Brian Hatfield somehow are, we just got along and just talked more and more and more. You and he were friends first because I transferred in that year and then I became friends with him and then he sort of introduced us. But weirdly, I had actually spent the semester before in Prague. And when I came back in, even though I was still with my cohort, I hadn't been at USC for about eight months. One of my first memories that really, I mean, although I think we were friends already at this point, and I know I mentioned it all the time that really endeared me to you and Brian, was we had two very distinctive teachers who will go unnamed, even though I can remember their names. And we all had to take one class with one and then one class with the other. And one day, you and Brian just got up and imitated them in front of all of us. And you played- In front of a third teacher that we all, so it was the same group of like 18 of us had these- In front of the sound teacher. So it was like, a they had us go to this one teacher for one thing and one teacher for another. So we all had the same three classes together. And yeah, we, we did. We, we imitated the two teachers in front of the third. And, and he was laughing. Yeah, and so. we all had a cathartic release because- the one of those teachers I really loved, but he was very singular. And then the other teacher kind of befuddled me. And I remember I got angry because he gave me a B. <laughs> Although at that point, what does it matter? Right. But almost looking back at his class, like it, there was almost nothing to go on. Like, what was he grading us on? Like we did a lot of in-class uh, exercises. So like your B was based on what? Looking back, you know? Who knows? I know. Probably the fact that I never wore pants. Yeah. <laughs> that was a problem. He kept, he kept telling me. He was like, Craig, how many times? And I was like, this is how I do me. I was like, this is a gift. <laughs> um, anyway, Steve is one of my best friends. You were in my wedding. Did that trip you out to find yourself on a Catholic altar in the biggest cathedral in LA? Be like, how did I get here? Um, yes. <laughs> Did it further trip you out to see like all the Jews in my family up there with yarmulkes and stuff? Uh, I like that you were able to talk them into letting you do, you know, the Jewish aspects of your ceremony there. I mean, I guess they were cool with it. I've told you this story. I do have to tell this story because it is kind of Indiana Jones related. Then we're going to get into it. But Martha and I got married uh, in the church because we're, we're both practicing Catholics. But I'm also a cultural Jew, and it's really important to me because my dad's Jewish, my mom's Catholic. So when we were doing the meetings with uh, the priest who was going to marry us, I just said, I am also Jewish, and my Judaism's really important to me, and, and I'd, I'd like to break the glass. You know, that's what happens at the end of a Jewish wedding. He said, no problem, no problem. You know, we're, he was all like, he was like, we're all about, you know, incorporating faiths and traditions. I was like, great, this is why, this is why I want to get married in the church. It's the new church. We uh, were all up there. It's the end of the wedding. And he blows past this part. And I had to whisper to him, although I, I don't think many, I was like, oh, no, we got to break the glass. And he looked at me and he whispered, he was like, we're still doing that. <laughs> and I felt like he was the guy in Raiders who was like, I am uncomfortable with these Jewish rituals. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember just under my breath, and he was a very nice guy. He, and I, I really loved him. He was a Monsignor, but I was like, yes, <laughs> well, we are. But in my head, I didn't say this, but I mean, my, my Jewish grandmother had just passed and I know my Bubby. I was like, we are doing this. So we brought out the glass and uh, we put the yarmulkes on and we stomped the glass. And then the, my Jewish side of the family, I think, was like, well, at least he did that. Yeah. 
anyway, side story. So Spielberg probably ended his first period with a movie called 1941, which a lot of people know about. And the problem was that he had gone way over budget on Jaws, but it was a monster hit. And then he had gone way over budget on Close Encounters, but it was a monster hit. And so probably on 1941, he was like, I'm going to do the same thing. It'll be a monster hit. But it, it wasn't. And he developed this horrible reputation where people were like, he's going to go three, four acts over budget and he's going to give you a 1941. So he tried to get a Bond movie. And at that time, they had a hard rule that it had to be British journeyman directors. So Albert Broccoli was like, no, you can't direct The Spy Who Loved Me or whatever, or For Your Eyes Only. Then George Lucas, famously, he and Spielberg were on a beach and Lucas was like, I got the thing for you. It's better than Bond. It's this idea I've had. Became Indiana Jones. Long story short, they made Raiders of the Lost Ark in 1981, starring Harrison Ford. It's probably the first movie of Spielberg's middle period. I always look at it that way because Spielberg really not only had to make a great movie, but he really had to prove that he could bring a movie on schedule and on budget. And he said that that is the movie he storyboarded the most, was Raiders, that he essentially storyboarded almost every single shot in that movie. And that he and Lucas even created a secret budget and a secret schedule. So they told Paramount it's going to be 110 days and 15 million or whatever they said. And they brought it in in 77 days for 8 million so that Spielberg could say, I brought it in under schedule and under budget. And Lucas, you know, not only did he give Spielberg you know, a once in a lifetime kind of property and idea, but also really helped his friend in a way get back in the good graces of Hollywood. And of course it didn't hurt anyone that the movie's like one of the, in my opinion, and you're yeah, you're like one totally. of the yeah, greatest movies of all time. Yeah. It's one of my absolute favorite. Absolutely. Mine too. So, uh, so we're totally agreed on that. Anyway, monster hit goes to say that we got to do sequel three years later. Uh, my understanding is that Spielberg had signed a, a napkin deal or a handshake deal with Lucas that he would do five of them or four of them or three of them. I don't maybe whatever it was. Lucas was like, let's do the second one. And this became Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. And it was partially all the ideas that they couldn't get cram into Raiders because there were just too many like yeah. the minecart chase and the Shanghai opening yeah. were Raiders sequences. Yeah, that, that I remember reading in film school when I used to go down to the basement of USC and sign out and read old screenplays, reading the Raiders screenplay, and that uh, Shanghai scene is in there. It's a act one, sequence two, before he goes to Marion. Oh, really? Right after he leaves. In the original script, he needs two pieces for the staff. And one of them's in Shanghai? I didn't know that. It's a great scene, but you movie making, you know, screenplay writing. Uh, 101, it's, kind of, it's a double like beat. Why, yeah, why do you need two? You know, he needs one thing before he goes, because then the movie really starts when they go to Egypt. Steve has 14 pages of notes, so he has come prepared. But anyway, so Temple of Doom comes out. They make Temple of Doom, and it does that thing that Lucas, although you could kind of say Lucas invented a Neo thing where Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom is not chronologically a sequel. It's actually a prequel. It does this weird thing where uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark takes place in 36, I think. Temple of Doom takes place in 1935. So it's one year before the events of Raiders. And the only thing I can think of is that because Indiana Jones in Temple of Doom doesn't believe any of the mythical stuff, he couldn't really have gone through what he went through in Raiders and still not believe. So it almost makes sense that it would be before that where he's still sort of fortune hunting. The story I've heard is that, and I think actually Raiders, I want to say Tomei, is more like 39. And so if they were to do 41, 42, oh. it'd be World War II. They didn't want to do Nazis again. How do you have a globetrotter, you know, a fortune hunter, archaeologist, trotting the globe after artifacts and there's no Nazis because it was the Nazis and the Japanese everywhere. 
So they didn't want to do that. So they came up with the idea of a prequel earlier enough where it wouldn't be, you know, Nazis everywhere or the Japan, Imperial Japanese Army. That makes total sense. So for those reasons, they make a 1935 movie and uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. The story is very basic. Indiana Jones, through, you know, rip roaring adventure happenstance, finds himself in India with a American nightclub singer he's picked up in Shanghai, really by circumstance, named Willie Scott, played by Cape Capshaw, a future Mrs. Steven Spielberg, or Steven Spielberg's a future Mr. Cape Capshaw. Indiana Jones has a sidekick named Short Round, played by Kehe Kwan or Jonathan, who I, I don't know if it's ironic, but you and I went to school with Jonathan, yeah. and he was amazing. And now everyone re-knows Jonathan because of his amazing turn in everything, everywhere, all at once, just from this year, playing Michelle Yeoh's husband. Indiana Jones in Temple of Doom, he has a sidekick, Short Round, who is this orphan Chinese boy that he picked up and he's sort of foster fathering, but he's taking on his adventures as well. Through an amazing adventure sequence, they end up in an impoverished Indian village in India where they tell them that their Shankara stone has been stolen by a thuggy cult and all the kids have been kidnapped and famine and childlessness has gone on the land. And Indiana Jones kind of wants to get the Shankara stone because he's an archaeologist. So of course this is huge because it really figures into Hindu mythology. But he sort of agrees that he's going to go to Pencock Palace to check this out with Willie and Short Round. And from there, they discover a temple of doom beneath the palace and adventure ensues. We'll get into all of it. The movie was wildly violent for a PG-rated movie. It's sort of funny for the reputation Spielberg has as heartwarming, family-friendly. He really is responsible for some of the most terrifying pop culture imagery of the last 40 years. Temple of Doom introduced us to a guy ripping out the heart of a man and you see the heart ripped out and then it catches on fire while the guy screams. And this movie created the PG-13. Lucas and Spielberg backed away from it years later saying that they were both going through bad divorces at the time, which, listen, I guess I, I believe that, but it sort of sounds like a retroactive excuse. Little, yeah, Monday morning quarterback. Yeah, uh, nevertheless, when this movie came out, it was a monster hit, but a lot of people said it was a total mess too dark, missed the indie formula that made Raiders great. Other people loved it or loved it when they discovered it. And and Steve and I are debating it. Steve, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but he's not a fan. I love it. So opening statements. Okay. 1981, The Raiders of the Lost Ark comes out. One of my favorite movies. One of the great movies of its genre. Unlike anything anyone had ever seen before, no one had really combined that type of storytelling with those special effects, with Spielberg's patented just great use of cinema, Harrison Ford's acting, and we all know what that is. Three years later, we get a sequel, which is a prequel, which totally abandons everything that works in Raiders of the Lost Ark, sandbags him with two, I would say, very boring to very annoying characters, doesn't give him anyone interesting to interact with, there's no character development in the movie, there's not really a good plot, he sort of shows up, he's reactive the whole time, he doesn't really, at the very end, he decides to save the kids, but for the most part, things are just happening around him and he's reacting to it. There's no joy in the movie. There's a lot of like sort of Spielberg cinema moments and scenes, but they just don't feel like they work. Also, in the first movie, you know, for the most part, there's only Supernatural right in the very last scene. This movie's got Supernatural throughout. Like the guy, we did see them pull a heart out of a guy. The guy lived until they put him in fire. If I saw that in 1935, I'd probably join up. I mean, so would you. <laughs> Like really, I'd run the other way. One or the other, you, but certainly there's something real You'd magical going on. You'd be a believer, yeah. Whether it scared you or not, the best scenes of the movie 
I would argue, are actually the ones that are left over from the Raiders of the Lost Ark script. I don't know if that's really a critique of the movie, but I think it is. Two most important things. In the first one, it's very well introduced that Indiana Jones is an archaeologist. He may be the archaeologist who has the ability and the know-how and uh, the physicality to go out and search for stuff and use a whip and, and take on Belloc and the Nazis and outsmart the Jovitos in the beginning. But he is in it for the archaeology. Everything's for the museum. In this movie, he's after fortune and glory. I would let that be a pass if, if it was a prequel and this is the movie where he learns that maybe that he's wrong and needs to, you know, be in it for better reasons, but that's not what happens. Secondly, you know, and we're going to be talking about a lot of, and I know this is most people's real complaint, is the Kate Capshaw character who is beyond annoying. I mean, every line of dialogue she says, I mean, she is conceited, manipulative, gold digging, culturally insensitive, and stupid. And every scene brings her down. She's so bad. The character is such a zero, such a actual bad person that I lose respect for Indiana Jones, that he's actually interested in her. Which he's only interested because the script says so. Like, there's zero chemistry between them. What about when she's in those silk pajamas? Well, Craig, you know, I, uh, if that's all you really want out of a woman, Craig. But, you know, I like to respect them for their mind as well. <laughs> okay. Yes, by the way, I'm sorry, that came out wrong. Yes, you're right. <laughs> by the way, Martha, my wife. <laughs> sorry, I, I just, Kate Capshaw sits on a bed in silk pajamas and I get it. That does not in any way, even the scale of everything else in the movie. But I would say that the movie makes the cardinal sin of being boring. I'm bored to death during this movie. Nothing happens. You're bored in Temple of Doom? Yeah, nothing happens. I want to be clear and I also don't want to do a lot of rambling. I love Temple. My barometer of if a movie's good or not, is if I'm going to sit down and watch it again. And I really try to be frank with myself. If I sense I really don't want to see this again, I try not to force it or try to force my view on other people just because I don't want to admit I was wrong. If I see a movie a second time and I'm like, oh, that doesn't hold up the way I remember it, I try to own it. You know, I saw Temple in 84, I'm pretty sure, or shortly thereafter. I've seen Temple probably every two or three years since. It's always a blast for me. I agree with a lot of things that I want to concede. Raiders is one of my top 11 films of all time. Temple of Doom is not in my top 50. Raiders is, I would put it up as an example of a perfect film. Temple has a lot of problems. I agree with you that Willie Scott can be very grating. I actually think there's some laziness in the filmmaking. You can see that Spielberg did not storyboard the way that he was doing in Raiders. He doesn't seem engaged in the movie. I think to some extent he is doing a sequel that, you know, he's grateful to Lucas. He's made this handshake deal with Lucas, but it's, you know, he probably at that point wanted to make color purple or always like he was probably at that point saying I need to show that I can do something different than the E.T. Jaws you know I, I just can't make that movie over and over and over again and I think he did Temple partly so that he could do color purple he could do Empire of the Sun because after Temple of Doom the next three movies he does are color purple Empire of the Sun and Always, you know, which are clearly as far away from Temple of Doom as you can get. So he very well may have been doing that John Ford thing of I'm going to make one for them so I can make one for me. I also agree. I mean, there's some real cultural insensitivity in the movie when it comes to Indians uh, and it comes to Indian culture. Yeah. And I'm going to throw in there that I'm actually half Indian and that is true, but that's actually so far down my list of complaints. <laughs> Steve is Punjabi, right? Uh, yeah, half. I just learned that you called your grandmother and grandfather Mataji and Daji. Yeah, which actually means mother and father. So anyone who actually understands that, it's a long story. I know, but I love it. 
I love your mom too. Your mom's the same. Thank you, Craig. I'm, I'm sure everyone here wants to know that. <laughs> she is though. Your mom's amazing. And I tell her that every time I see her. And she looks at me with a confused look like, who are you again? Yeah. <laughs> Steve is like, ignore him. He's Catholic. Exactly. <laughs> so I, I do want to concede all those points. I also think the movie tonally is kind of weird. I also think, just to concede this right at the beginning, though we can get into it, I do think there's that whole weird turn where Indiana Jones gets zombified for a little bit, yeah. and then suddenly, like, Short Round does the fire, and you are, for a moment, like, where's this movie? Like, where are we? What are we doing here? Like, it feels... I know you would probably argue it's off the rails the whole time. I would argue that that 10-minute stretch in the movie feels off the rails to me. I'm like, oh, they didn't know where they were going here. Like, they're, they're just, It's just like that kind of movie making where they got to get from this scene to this scene to this scene and yeah. figure something out. That being said, I've always described Temple of Doom as a bit of a mess, but it's a beautiful mess and it's a fun mess. You know, I would put, for instance, if we were talking about James Bond movies, because you and I had talked about Honor Majesty's Secret Service, I would equate Temple with a movie like Thunderball or You Only Live Twice, which is Thunderball and You Only Live Twice. You already see that Sean Connery is getting a little like over the role. The movies are getting a little ridiculous, but they're like a lot of fun to me. There's an underwater scuba dive fight. There's a scene where they're like sharks in a pool. There's Domino, I think, in Thunderball. There's that great redhead spy that he, she's like, give me something to wear, and he hands her the shoes. And Then in You Only Live Twice, there's like a basin of volcano. Yeah. So w what I'm trying to get at is that there's a whole subset of movies that when you're talking about a series or you're talking about a genre, you wouldn't say that's the best of the genre or that's the best of the series, but you would say, I would say, I, not you, I would say, that's one that's just fun. I love that one. And if it's fun for me and it's not work for me to watch it, it's a good movie. And I would even go a little further. I would say The Temple of Doom is very good because I think there's great Spielberg filmmaking in it. And it's worth it for me to see that. And there's also, I think that one of the greatest stretches of any Indiana Jones movie is the beginning through when the raft finally slows down. The Indian elder, like he goes, oh, I know what country we're in. We're in India. Like that's just cliffhanger upon cliffhanger upon cliffhanger upon cliffhanger for 25 minutes. And Spielberg maintains that in a joyous way. And I think he actually matches it at the end from when they free the kids through, you know, the minecart chase to the bridge sequence, I think is another stretch of just fun, fun filmmaking. Yes, it's a mess. Yes, it is nowhere near as good as Raiders. Very few movies are. But I think it's a very good movie that's a lot of fun, and I will defend it. I guess I should have been more clear with my stance on the movie. It's not that the movie doesn't have some good stuff in it because, you know, Steven Spielberg's so inherently talented that even when he phones it in, there's going to be good cinema. But for me, this is a movie that is obviously nowhere near as good as Raiders. It's nowhere near as good as the third movie, in my opinion, which I think is way better, way more enjoyable. And we do need to talk about that because you can't really talk about Temple of Doom without talking about Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. But I think this movie, you know, upon rewatching it, it's too easy to say this movie. Yeah, you know, it's, it's not as good as the other two, but, you know, it's still Indiana Jones and I still like it and it's still got some good stuff. I think this movie is kind of rotten, actually. I think it's kind of rotten at its core. I think it's also really boring. I don't like the character of Indiana Jones in this movie. I don't really like any of the choices they made. And this is a weird way to critique it. I think that it's being held afloat by Steven Spielberg's inherent talent, even when he phoned it in and wasn't interested. I think almost every choice they made is bad. And I think it's actually a bad movie 
with enough solid craftsmanship it, that, to keep it afloat. But if you really look at it and really watch it closely, like I have the last two nights, you go, what is this? When, what, are, what were they thinking? You say that, but how do you compare Temple of Doom to Crystal Skull? I only saw the Crystal Skull the one time when we saw it in the theater. and it at was At the Vista. At the Vista. Crystal Skull was a little bit like seeing, you know, the Star Wars prequels for me where you go in going, I don't think this is going to be good. But then you realize that a movie can actually be way worse than you think it's going to be. Crystal Skull was so bad, you go, I didn't think that Harrison Ford and Steven Spielberg and George Lucas combined to make a movie this bad. There's just a base for their talent. There's just a basement for where that's going to be. And it sunk so much lower. So is this movie better than that? Yeah, probably. Well, wait. You Come on, be rigorous. Is it better than Crystal Skull? I've only seen Crystal Skull once. Yes, it's better than Crystal Skull. Crystal Skull had stuff where you just go, what the f*** is going on? Crystal Skull didn't even feel like it had the Indiana Jones sauce to me. I would argue this barely had the sauce, but yes. This is a better movie than Crystal Skull. But it's nowhere near as good, I would say, as Last Crusade. When you talk about that, if I were to offer you Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom or... Michael Bay's Pearl Harbor. I laughed so hard in Pearl Harbor that people got mad at me in the theaters. So. I actually haven't seen it, so that's probably not fair. But Or like uh, Temple of Doom versus Armageddon. I would probably have, have more fun watching Armageddon. Really? But that's also, that's over the top. I mean, that's camp for me, I think. So it's a little bit different. I would take Romancing the Stone over this movie. To no, put like a I, similar... I take Temple. I, yeah, that's a great point. Robert Zemeckis' Romancing the Stone, which was like an Indiana Jones riff with Michael Douglas. And it's a great movie. It's a fun yeah. movie. I think that movie is much better than this movie. Not nearly as proficient cinematically, but just better acting, better chemistry between the actors, an actual plot that you know sees them going after things, setups, payoffs, things that this movie doesn't have. Humor, you know. There are a lot of things in Temple of Doom that I find really, really funny. Uh, I do think you've hit on something that I do want to come back to, which is Steven Spielberg is one of, in my opinion, Francis Ford Coppola in assessing himself said, I may have genius, but I don't have talent. And what he was saying was, you know, I, I may have made some good movies and I may have, but I just don't have talent. And he described it the way that like Miles Davis had talent uh, playing the trumpet or Picasso had talent as a painter. And he said, probably the person in my cohort who has the most God-given talent is Steven Spielberg. He said, I just don't have Steven Spielberg's God-given talent. I think anybody who's really into filmmaking, I think there's something there that Spielberg has a kind of God-given talent cinematically that very few filmmakers inherently have. And so for me, and you, you said it, watching a Steven Spielberg movie is better for me than watching a lot of other filmmakers' greatest movies, even if it's a Spielberg uh, middle of the road. Now, there's Spielberg movies that I don't actually have any interest in revisiting. I've never had to rewatch Always. I've never had to rewatch The Color Purple. I've never had to rewatch Amistad. I've never had to rewatch The Terminal. I've never had to rewatch Crystal Skull. Like, I've never had to rewatch Hook. These are all movies that I would argue are probably bad. And this is someone who idolizes Spielberg. But Temple of Doom, I don't think, is in that category. I think Temple of Doom is middle to above middle Spielberg. I think there's so much enjoyable in it, and I think he keeps the plate spinning. I don't think it's fair to say that it's bad. Second beer time. That's you know the danger that you get into trying to critique a Spielberg movie, I guess, and that's the danger that I have taken on in, in taking the position I do because, yeah, he inherently always knows where to put the camera, how it's going to cut together, how to make a, you know, a, a very cinematic sequence. But but like beyond that though, he makes it joyous. I would say not so much in this movie. 
And so, yes, in some ways, you know, the worst Spielberg movie is going to be better than a lot of movies. But, you know, you do have to sort of judge it based on the expectation. And I I am bringing into the fact here, like, I am judging it as a Spielberg movie and as an Indiana Jones sequel. You, You can name any number of movies that, you know are considered okay movies that are not as good as this in many ways, but it doesn't. Well, but that's what I was trying to do. I was actually trying to take you up on your rubric of that. Maybe I was doing it not well, uh, not adroitly, but what I was actually trying to say was even by Spielberg standards, there are movies I think of Spielberg's that yes, they have a sequence or a shot or, you know, oh, that was great. But ultimately I don't think they work or ultimately I feel he phoned it in truly or I don't feel he's engaged or I think they're actively not good. I don't put Temple in that category. But this is an interesting movie. It does have things going for it, but I would say that especially because it is, it has the blueprint that is Raiders of the Lost Ark and even if they wanted to do something different, which I totally get, I know he, he didn't want to do the same thing over again. I understand trying to put it in a different genre, but... I mean, that's one of the most beloved characters of all time, and and, and no one quotes this movie. No one, when they talk about their favorite things that Indiana Jones ever did, it's really not something from this movie. It's from the first or the third movie. I had a realization this year that you know how we all love the joke in Raiders where the guy has the big machete and Indy just shoots him? Yeah. Technically, chronologically, the scene in Temple of Doom, which is really a riff on that where he reaches for his gun, and it's not there, and the two guys have the swords— that really would be the first time he did that. It's a callback to something in the future, which is bothering me a little bit, but I let that slide. Um, <laughs> it is weird, though, when you think about that. The thing yeah. is, while you're watching the movie, the fact that it's a prequel is almost immaterial, which I think is actually maybe a mistake. You know, they said it earlier for the reasons we said discussed earlier, so they could put it not in a you know Nazi and Japanese dominated World War situation. But while, once you get into it, you totally forget that, and you're just you're in the world of the movie for better or worse. But, like, why make it a prequel but not do anything with that? Why make it a prequel and not show us maybe a little bit of where Indiana Jones, you know, became Indiana Jones? It's just a convenient way to switch genres and not have Nazis. There's another thing I want to concede. I might as well, because I I just love these conversations as documents of cinema. I mean, another thing that I have to concede right away is, in my opinion, I'm sure not by design. It was just the way that it happened. But it's really hard to top Karen Allen. Because when you watch Raiders, there's such a real chemistry between uh, Harrison Ford and Karen Allen or Indiana Jones and Marion. And you feel they're really in love. And they have a Casablanca-esque backstory that I think really, by comparison, the Willie Scott thing, there's no way that it can hold up. That's true. I would say she's so bad. And the character is so bad. I'm sorry, Miss Capshaw, if you're listening. The performance is not good. It's annoying. But it's not just that. The character, like I said before, is just a vile human being. Do you remember when they first see the thuggy ceremony, when Mola Ron, or whatever his name is, pulls the heart out of a guy? We see him go down. He burns in this lava. And by the way, I don't know if the fort was built on top of a secret lava field or because it's an evil fort, there's evil lava down there. I'm not really sure. I'll let that slide. But they watch that happen. He holds up a heart and it's burning and people are going nuts. They've seen something, you know, they say, have you ever seen anything like this? He goes, no one's seen this for a hundred years, which is maybe the best line in the movie. The moment she hears that those stones have diamonds in it, she's like, diamonds? Oh, I'm engaged because she's a horrible piece of garbage human being, that character. I I don't know. She doesn't do one. She's annoying the entire time. Literally everything she says 
They're being shot at in a car. Indy hands her the gun. She drops it because she broke a nail. She's more worried about her nails than being shot at. She's more worried about diamonds than children being used as slaves and ritual sacrifices going on in front of her. She's more worried about herself and her fame at every point of the movie. She does not do one non-selfish thing the entire movie. And she's in the entire movie. The interesting thing about Marion, Marion's not in the whole movie. She's introduced, she's there, we think she's dead. He gets to go have a whole sequence where it's him and- In the and, Well of Souls and yeah, Sala. And then she's back, and I would say for you know a movie that's about Indiana Jones, the love interest is in that movie for the right amount of time. Willie Scott is in this, she's the first person we see. She's in it from the entire movie. The only part of the movie where she's not annoying the shit out of me is during the continuous action sequence at the end because she doesn't have enough screen time to annoy me. But you know what they do? At the very end of the movie, right before they kiss, she goes on one of her materialistic, selfish rants again, and then Indiana Jones is still trying to kiss this woman. And it's not all Kate Capshaw. The movie thinks, Steven Spielberg thinks this is a great character. The movie thinks this is a great character. The movie thinks she's hilarious. She's given so much comedic relief, you know, with the elephant and falling off the elephant and the bath and the perfume and her on the elephant wrong, her with the soup and falling over backward. The movie thinks she's hilarious. They must have thought on the page, this is hilarious. While they were filming it, they're like, this is gold. It's awful. Say the female love interest in the third movie isn't great. She's no Marion, but she's leaps and bounds above this character. Willie Scott, she doesn't factor into anything except for just to be, you know, a dame to be there. She doesn't in any way, like, get him into trouble, get him out of trouble. Well, she gets him out of the trap room with the bugs, uh, which is maybe the best sequence in the movie, at least in the middle of the movie. The moment she finds out there's a Maharaja, she's thinking, maybe I can marry this guy. She's introduced as a, as a singer, you know, a lounge singer or, you know, a nightclub singer, which she mentions three times, but that doesn't factor in at all. Never once does being a singer have anything to do with her at all. In the, in the third movie, she's a scientist as well. They solve things together. She ends up being a secret Nazi, but like, I don't think it was a great acting job, but the character's way more interesting in that movie. This character is, I don't know if she's more annoying or more of just uh, vile. The fact that Indiana Jones is attracted to her is kind of a bummer. I would think that he's attracted to this kind of garbage person. And I know the script makes him have to do it, but... There are things that uh, Willie Scott does that I like. I disagree with you. I got to push back. I do agree and I, that... There are things that are annoying in the character. I also agree with you that the way that she's written, she doesn't have the agency, for sure, that uh, Marion has or that uh, Allison Duty does. Uh, what's her name? Eliza? But Allison Duty is the actress in Last Crusade. I concede that. It is a flaw of the script that Willie Scott just kind of seems to not only be materialistic, but just constantly out of her depth. And I do take your point. And there are definitely annoying grading characteristics to the character. But, you know, I love her anything goes sequence at the beginning. That's just filmmaking, though. Maybe. Like That's just cinema. That's not really her. But I also really love that sequence after the dinner where she and Indiana Jones want to bone each other. That's rough. That's like... I love that. Where she's like, Indiana Jones, I could have been your greatest adventure. You know, she's like pushing on the statues. And actually, I think uh, the bug sequence is one of the fun bug sequences. What's great about the setup of her character in that instance is she is the last person 
that you want to help you out of a scrape where you're in a spike room with insects and bugs because she's probably going to fail you. So I have to say that in that instance, I think the way that that character is set up actually heightens the suspense of that sequence because you're not sure she's going to stick her hand into a hole full of bugs to save uh, Indiana Jones and Short Round and they look like they're going to die. You know, beyond that, I don't want to go too much further than that. But again, I would just argue in the same way that in a James Bond, how many great Bond heroines are there? You know, I could probably name two or three in the entire series that I think are really powerful, really fascinating, really fleshed out characters. Yeah, we're not anywhere near that bar. Like we're so far uh, no, so below that. I, no, I think there are a lot of Bond uh, heroines that are way below Willie Scott. Yeah, but they're not in the entire movie. Willie Scott's not forgettable. She's too annoying to be forgettable. No, she's not. But, but if that's the bar here, I hear what you're saying about the Bond women, but like that's, I don't know if that's really an apples to apples in part because A, a lot of them aren't really around for the whole movie. Yeah, no, no, fair enough. The I mean, she's in, she's in the entire movie. She's in the, literally the first shot and the last shot and almost every shot in between. And she almost gets more scenes to herself than Indiana Jones does. She gets scenes where she gets to rant, try her hand at comedic relief. She's in the movie way too much for, I mean, he's barely in the movie to a certain extent. Look, look, we're going to have to move on. She's so dumb that when he has that cloth with Shiva handing the rocks to the priest. Sure, most people don't know that Sanskrit, but she goes, is that writing? Come on. She doesn't know that there are non-Arabic uh, letters and she just, everything is, I mean, they really wrote her as a dummy. Tantric rituals, ancient mating customs. Would you study me? Yeah, so- Why the, is this coming back to me? Because she was smoking hot, dude. And then they were he, eating Here fruit. we really get to what's at the, at, at the- You're like Roger Ebert. If the girl's hot, you forgive everything. <laughs> forgive me, audience. I, How many times you watch a ro- movie that Roger Ebert gave three and a half stars to, to and you realize that, oh, he gave three and a half stars to, you know, her figure? Oh, uh, well, I, you know, as much as I love Ebert, and I actually have a ton of respect for Ebert. Yeah, look, I, um, I should, the audience should know I do too. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I, I, that goes without saying. But actually, I never saw a movie based on a Siskel and Ebert review. I actually only got to know Ebert in my later life, really after he passed. Oh, I, I would watch that show religiously and, and had a bunch of his books. I only really became aware of everything that Ebert had contributed to cinema around the time of his death. And I, I didn't know that he had been the first person that championed Scorsese. I didn't realize how much, you know, that he had written Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. And that was stuff I all learned sort of in adulthood. So I didn't know that was a thing. He definitely enjoyed a, uh, especially a buxom woman. Did he? he, he you know, if, if you really read his reviews, I mean, it's not obvious, but there's sometimes you, you know, and look, sometimes, you know, we're getting off topic. Sometimes reviewers like a movie and you just don't get it. But some, every once in a while you go, I know why I like this. I don't want to give short shrift to what I'm saying. I am trying to make a point, which is that, and this is not the reason I love Temple is not because there's some fun sexuality and attraction to Kate Capshaw and the Willie Scott character, although I do have that and I want to own that. I don't think that's what makes Temple great, but I just want to say that there is some fun 30s. Again, I'm not going to hammer it too much, but I mean, she's in those silk PJs and I remember that sequence and I remember the banner being fun. I do think you're selling short some of the banner. Some of the banner is annoying. I don't want to also argue something that is obvious she is the most annoying of the three uh indie heroines of the four movies willie scott works the least i can't debate that that's just obvious and if you're being intellectually rigorous or intellectually honest she's the weakest indie heroine so what i want to throw to you though i think you called this movie i I wish i had been writing it down you had said some things in your opening statement 
I just find this movie is tons of joy. Let's just go through it for a moment. Okay. You have a two-hour movie that provides you the Shanghai sequence. From Raiders of the Lost Ark. No, but it's in Temple of Doom. You can't argue that. Part of the reason it feels like two different movies is because, you know, Lawrence Kasdan did not come on to write this one. I think he wasn't interested. And Lucas got his uh, American, American Graffiti, graffiti. Yeah. co-writers to write it. And, you know, I looked them up, and they've really done slice-of-life movies. They've never done anything like this, and it really shows you know, the Shanghai sequence feels like it's out of a different movie because it kind of is. It is, you're right, it is in this movie though, but that's the first 14 minutes of the movie. There's still another hour and, four, and 45 right, but, minutes but I'm, to go. But I'm not done. You've got the Shanghai sequence, which leads into the airplane sequence, which leads into the raft on the mountain sequence. The, the raft is kind of ridiculous. It but is. I like the airplane. It is. I don't know. I, I sort of like how it keeps going and going and going. Sure. Okay. Uh, it is ridiculous. I mean, because they somehow survive jumping out of a plane and then survive what looks like a hundred foot drop from a cliff. Yeah. And then they drop off a cliff in the Himalayas and land in a river and, you know, India. the middle of India, yeah. you know, subtropical India. But I, the ridiculousness of that is so and that it never ends that from the opening of that movie it's boom 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 and there is some lines that i quote from temple of doom at least to myself because of my philosophical underpinnings where he's like into the great unknown indy i go first oh, you're talking about wuhan who shows up his great buddy who gets shows up just to die and by the way someone i wish i, I got to find it someone wrote a whole essay on wuhan and they're like what <laughs> Indiana Jones just like finds and uses people like they've been on great many adventures together and like Indiana Jones like oh yeah I'm sorry you're dead he barely sheds a tear for him also by the way no one notices a guy gets shot in the and dying in the whole nightclub but yeah Wuhan just shows up and gets killed and then never mentioned again hey that's life baby okay you're an archaeologist live fast die hard you know what do you want me to say Wuhan wasn't an archaeologist he was an archaeologist you know like errand boy <laughs> he was exploited by a white man yeah <laughs> my point was this in the course of two hours shanghai i actually like the dinner sequence so i'm gonna include it shanghai dinner sequence bug room minecart chase bridge i mean those are five great set pieces and if you want to take out the dinner sequence that's fine but you've got four great set pieces you know you're a, you're an amazing screenwriter you have a brilliant talent for structure you know i would just say that you got a killer first act sequence you got a killer midpoint sequence or a killer kind of between the first and the second act or sort of curtain of the second act you got a killer curtain on the second act and you got a killer third act sequence shanghai uh, you know no argument there i mean i think it's a little silly the bug sequence is good in part because you know it just i mean her reaching into bugs and and spielberg filmmaking yeah and spielberg filmmaking and how can it be bad the dinner sequence is ridiculous in my opinion i'm way more interested actually in the conversation that indiana jones is having with the prime minister and the english captain what's interesting is that like she's like 10 feet away from him and he's totally i mean they obviously filmed it on different days you know but like they might as well have filmed it in different you know it's like they're not aware like neither one's aware that that's going on he is so unaware that this is happening to her 10 feet away from him it is not believable and it's also like you know i said that the cultural insensitivity stuff didn't bother me you know being half indian but it's so ridiculous and over the top that's, like, yeah. but it goes on and on and it's like i guess that's the part where like i you know i hear my mom complaining about the movie and and i get it but it's also like i just don't think it's that good it's all one note. It's gross after gross after gross after gross. Like, there's no real setup. Or escalation. Yeah, there's no escalation. It's also, by the way, three gross appetizers, then dessert. They don't have a main course. I'll let that slide. Well, what about eels? Wasn't that the no, main course? No, the snake surprise is the very first thing. Snake surprise, then the beetles. And by the way, everyone there is gross. The guy's like, you know, fat and burping as he's eating the beetles. Then it's the eyeball soup, which is just for her. Then it's dessert, chilled monkey's brains. Would you try chilled monkey's brains? I don't think so. Uh, you know, part of it is just the texture. I don't like 
mushy foods. Yeah, you know, I don't know that I would either. I actually, the monkey is my favorite animal. And if I was like looking it in the eye, because you do in the movie, I mean, it's that monkey head. I normally pride myself on being able, like I'll eat anything as long as it's not human flesh. And I don't think I could do it. If they brought me a monkey head, I'd have to be like, Sorry. I could eat the eels, though. Live? Yeah, I mean, if they told me it was okay. I mean, uh, maybe not. I don't know. Yeah. That's a good point. But I'm way more interested in the other half of that comment. It's one of the best pieces of dialogue in the whole movie because it's one of the few times Indiana Jones has someone interesting to talk to and something interesting to talk about. And shows is- his your addition, too. But Minecart Bridge? Minecart's a little silly for me. You know, it's the equivalent of the truck chase in Raiders, and that's really an end of act two. See, the movie has a huge structural problem. The minecart feels like an adequate chase scene to end act two, but it's actually an act three chase scene. And the same with the bridge. I don't think the bridge is a big enough climax. It's cool. It's well done. It's certainly no tank scene in Last Crusade. I mean, there is something pretty dope about what is he going to do? Because I think you know what he's going to do the whole time, especially he has a sword raised in the air for about two minutes of screen time before he chops down. But But, I I just don't think that's a big, I just don't think that's a big, that feels like if you watch these kind of like jungle escapades, like a romancing the stone, like a bridge over a chasm is a act two sequence that gives the hero either puts them behind everyone else if that's what the screenwriters want or gives them a little bit of, uh, of a head start while everyone goes around. I don't think it's big enough for the end of the movie, to be honest. And then they get saved by the British, right, right. Uh, well, the, the Indian British Army. And also, by the way, he's chanting spells at that point. The amount of supernatural in this movie, like I said, you know, and is just way different from the first and the third movie. And, and it should be also, I should admit that I'm okay with the amount of supernatural in Raiders of the Lost Ark. I don't really like the end of The Last Crusade when they get there in the last night, and that's just too supernatural for me. Stuff doesn't work for me. But this movie's like thuggy cult members doing a a ritual where, again, he pulls a guy's heart out, and the guy lives, and the heart, and I guess that really happened. So I guess Kali is giving these people magical powers. I can't really let that go because what world are we in? There's also the black blood of Kali or whatever that turns him into a zombie, which is just, like you said, a ridiculous sequence. Some of Harrison Ford's worst acting, in my opinion, and just feels oh, yeah, like a completely the, different yeah. movie. No, no, it's 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 the worst part yeah. of the, the movie. For and sure. also, by the way, it's like Harrison Ford sees the kid, doesn't make a plan, throws a rock at a guy, hits him in the head, doesn't knock him out. He's a tough guy, I guess. And then is immediately caught. And you're like, Lillian Jones doesn't get caught right away. Black blood of Kali that turns you into a zombie until someone burns you. I guess it's like you know in the old cartoons, you got kicked in the head with a donkey, and then you you <laughs> lost your memory till you got kicked in the head with a donkey again. Like it's it's ridiculous, and there is, and in fairness, there's no setup to that. There's no setup. That's yeah. just, and that's not acceptable in a movie of this level. We're talking about Steven Spielberg, George Lucas, and then there's voodoo. Oh yeah. Although that's pretty cool when the thuggy gets chewed up by the rock grinder. Yeah. Well, then it becomes that kind of movie where there's a conveyor belt scene and a yeah. bridge scene and a chase scene. And that's a, where it picks up again. That's in where my it picks opinion. up, but it, it kind of becomes more formulaic. But but anyway, the voodoo, like that's from not even from the same culture. That's just out of nowhere. And you're like, why? I guess someone made a doll of Indy complete with the hat, by the way. But there's so much time between the heart ripping out that when Mola Ram goes to rip out Indiana Jones's heart at the bridge, I go, oh, right. This guy can rip out people's hearts because I forgot because it's been 45 or minutes since this happened. That's the other problem. This movie, like the pacing is completely off. Like it's three different movies. It's four different movies. You got the Shanghai movie, which is one movie and one set of like energy 
Then, you know, they get to the village and that sequence is interesting. But then once they get in the elephant, it's a whole nother type of movie till they get down in the cave. Then they see the thuggy ritual. Then it's a completely you're like, what movie are we in? Like they keep changing the stakes and what's possible. Then there's the kids that he finds. By the way, he's going to leave the kids. He forgot about it. We all forgot about the kids, you know, but then he hears some screaming. Then it's a movie about the kids. And then all of a sudden, like, oh, right, this guy can rip people's hearts out. For a movie that has, in my opinion, zero plot in the way of, like, there's no setups and payoffs. There's nothing clever like there is in Raiders or even Last Crusade. There's no, like, Indiana Jones wants this, so here's the obstacle. He's totally reactive to everything. So, in one hand, there's nothing going on in the movie. On the other hand, it's got way too much going on, which is what I just said. <laughs> it's got that, Steve. How can you argue that? Listen to that. We're free and slave children, Steve. Yeah, and it's a, he's like a Superman now. He's beating everyone up. Like... The movie doesn't know who this Indian Jones is, which is really... And I don't know that's different screenwriters and then Spielberg phoning it in, or I don't know. He's not a consistent character from the first movie. This is a, a bit of a weird conversation because I agree with everything you're saying. I do think ultimately I would go one, three, two, which is what you're saying. Raiders, Crusade, Temple. I think the drop-off is huge between three and two. I don't. But I would definitely say... Raiders is the perfect movie. Crusade has that great father-son story, and it's really the reconciliation of a father and a son. So there's a through line, and there's like great character growth. And I would agree with you that there's no character growth really in Temple of Doom on anyone's part. Everyone's pretty static. There's no interesting characters in the movie. I, I mean, I would almost argue that he's not even interesting in the movie, but we, we know who he is, so let forget that for a second. If you think of Last Crusade, he has his father to talk to. He's got... Allison Duty's character to talk to. You know, he runs into that group of people, the protectors of the realm, you know, I forget who they're called. He has that in- the guys with the fez hats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he has interesting conversations with them. He has interesting conversations with what's his buddy back home? Denholm Elliott. Marcus Brody. That movie's got so many great gags, you know, like, you know, them on the fireplace and spinning around and the motorcycle chase. And like the one-liners mo- are dope. Yeah. Where he's like, Sala, I said no camels. That's yeah. five camels. This movie has none of that. There's no interesting characters. Like, Molaram is just, I mean, his entire character development is his outfit. He's got one half-ass scene where he talks about Kali and Thuggy cults. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, the prime minister's, except for that dinner scene, is completely boring. The Maharaja, what the f*** were they thinking there? Because, by the way, why is there not, like, a romantic rival? Like, she's interested in Maharaja, you know, because she's a gold digger. Like, why didn't they make him some sort of young, handsome man, and then, you know, she's falling under his spell because he is, you know, captivating because he is secretly a cult of Kali. It's like the Maharaja, they made him a kid. They made him a weird kid because... They didn't know what to do with him, but like, well, why they, they kind of pair him with short round. That was the decision they went. Yeah, with. it's a terrible decision. And there's the whole thing with kids in the movie. There should be a romantic rival for him in this movie. If the romantic co-lead is going to be in the entire movie and it's going to be a love, hate, love, hate thing. Oh, that's an interesting. Yeah, like, like if Willie is sort of really, truly between two, then there you, you have at least that texture. The movie does not make any of those decisions. Like I said, I've said a couple times, the dinner scene is the only interesting dia- you know, piece of dialogue or a conversation where he's at talking to someone who's at all an intellectual equal. 
The Maharaja, I don't know why they couldn't make that. He's so boring. Why couldn't they make him an interesting character? The Prime Minister outside that scene is boring. And when he tries to attack Indy with a knife, it's almost laughable. Like, this nerd. You know, the main bad guy is introduced. Mola Ram's introduced an hour into the movie. The most interesting bad guys in the whole movie are Lao Shea and his henchmen. I love them. Like, they should have come back. But there's no Belloc. There's no Marcus Brody. There's no, like, Nazi, you know, lieutenants who drift throughout the movie and you have to beat, you know, get in a couple fights with. I think, while I agree with you, that I think that this material, and I think Spielberg has said the same, although I can't tell if it's him trying to distance himself from a movie that became controversial, which Spielberg sometimes does, although it makes all the sense in the world to me. It's funny that the American director who is as synonymous with heartwarming, great American, family-affirming, life-affirming cinema, positive, optimistic outlook on the world, is also ironically responsible for some of the greatest horror imagery of the last 50 years. And I do think that Temple of Doom, again, showcases Spielberg's amazing talent for horrific imagery. This is the guy who gave us Robert Shaw being eaten by a shark, which once you see it, you can never get out of your head. This is the guy who gave us E.T. dying on the rocks. I remember when E.T. like, and they zip him in the bag and you're like, holy moly. I mean, this is the guy who gave us all those bodies in the river and war of the worlds. I don't know if you remember that moment, but we're like, 50 bodies just float by Dakota Fanning. You know, he just has a talent for images where you're like, gee, and in Temple, you know, you talk about the heart pulling sequence, you know, also too in the Temple of Doom, they're like skins that are, there's just a kind of, and I'm, I'm borrowing this a little bit from our chief creative content officer, Connor Lloyd Cruz. Connor loves Temple of Doom because he felt that Temple was his gateway drug to horror cinema because Temple is the horror Indiana Jones. And if you're a kid, you're not going to see a horror movie. But if you saw Temple of Doom and you were like, oh, what is this? Like there's some horrific stuff in it. And so I also think that you can't discount Spielberg's genius at eyeworm, earworm, horrific imagery. He's really good at it. And I think Temple's got some. I guess the difference, you know, like Jaws felt real. Temple of Doom... The imagery's there, but like I just don't believe it. I don't believe it to be real. It's almost it's like a cartoon, and and I did not see it in '84. I, I mean, I probably saw it when I was a teenager. I think that's the same with me. I didn't see it in '84 because my mom wouldn't have let me. I must have seen it on VHS. You know, Raiders doesn't have as many scenes like that, but Raiders: The Lost Ark feels like it could have really happened. I believe, almost believe, that there was maybe a guy running around doing that in 1939. I don't think they opened up the Ark of the Covenant and you know ghosts flew out, but up until there, I kind of believe it. This movie, I don't believe any of it. It's like a cartoon. It's like a horrific cartoon. So when you talk about the horror images, you're, you're right. But I don't. It, it's like they're hollow. I don't know how to describe it. No, like, no, I, I just I, don't. I, I just you. don't believe it. I just don't. It's so it just. There's it's a like, cartoonishness. It do anything to there's, me. There's definitely a cartoonishness yeah. to Temple that is more on the surface than than the other two. I just I don't believe anything in the movie. It just doesn't feel real. I don't know. What to, and I have I have a blast. Amazing cinema to me, and I've, I've said this over and over and over again, but always operates on dream logic and musicality. That's really how I view movies. And, and I love story. Good story is cinematic and intrinsic to good, good movie making. But my understanding of cinema is really ultimately of dreams and music. Those are the two analogs that I understand cinema out of. And great cinema to me will either operate on an amazing dream logic or it'll operate on an amazing musicality. And I do think the temple has this 
to me, very appealing dream logic of you're in a place, somebody tells you about a place, that's Pancock Palace. You go to this place, and then there's a place within the place, that's the Temple of Doom. And it has that great thing of, oh, there's a secret entrance, and there's a, what is this hallway? And then there's the spike room, and then what's through the spike room, and what is this temple beneath the palace? And then there's mine carts under there. And that stuff appeals to the little boy in me. You know, I remember this book that my mom uh, used to read us, The Berenstein Bears. And uh, we all know Berenstein Bears if you're a little kid. But there's one Berenstein Bears where they discovered a haunted house that was a big tree. Did you read that one? I don't remember. Oh, it's so good. And then the brother and sister go into the tree. And within the tree is this haunted house within the tree that from the outside, you can't tell that there's a haunted house. But the moment you go in the tree, there were floors and stairs and slides. And I, I wish I could explain it better, but that's Temple of Doom to me is the haunted house within the tree. So on a dream logic level to me too, Temple totally succeeds. And that's why I think it's a good movie. You, you almost make it sound good. But as you know, and your audience doesn't know, for me, it's all about story. And this movie doesn't have one. Everything has to be in support of a good story. And by that, I mean a character who has an objective. He wants something. That thing can be physical. can be a psychological thing. There's obstacles. He has to move past those obstacles. He has to get the thing. He has to grow. This movie, Indiana Jones, is thrust into something, and then things happen to him, and things happen to him, and things happen to him until he decides that he's going to save the kids, and then he beats up some people, and then the movie's over. And along the way, there's a lot of gobbledygook. I think that probably like most of our points, I mean, every point I'm making, most of them, you know, you can't really argue with them about Willie, about the characters. No, you can't. So the thing is, I agree with you. You're saying that those are fine, but the movie has enough to succeed. My point is that. I think that those are the reason why the movie, despite some just good cinema because he's so inherently talented, is actually a bad movie. I think it's not just, oh, this is an okay movie, it's not as good, you like it or whatever. I think it's actually a bad movie, but it's just got enough talent behind it that it looks like it might be a good movie. And so that's what it is. It's a movie that when you watch the beginning, you go, why is it, this movie's good. And then the longer it goes on, you're like, I don't care about this movie. I don't care. I don't like any of the people in it. I don't even know how much like Indiana Jones. I like him residually from the first movie. I don't think there's anything interesting going on. I don't think most of the gags don't work. There's no plot. There's no magic. It's not fun. There's no secret sauce from Raiders. It's got a couple decent sequences. There's no joy. There's no magic there. And it just is relentless in like a not a good way. Minecart scene's not enough. Bridge scene's not enough. I want to rattle off some more points. Okay. That's all right. The beginning of the movie, I'm okay with starting with her in the first shot because it, you know, I get the idea that sure right away we're in a different movie. What the fuck is that thing in Busby, Busby Berkeley sequence where she goes back into the other lion's mouth and then there's a whole, and you're like, and you know what it is? It's Spielberg going, I'm, I like those Busby Berkeley. I've never done one of those. Let me just shoehorn that in here. What the fuck? This part? No, that's not the opening, is it? It is. Remember the title? Mm-hmm. Oh, the title, The Gong, and it's, yeah. it's, which is stolen from Gunga Dean, but it's still great. It's a... yeah. yeah, like what the hell is, what is this? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn this off in a second. I just want to hear whoever dubbed Kate Capture, or maybe she sang this. Let's just skip ahead. I think that is Kate Capshaw. Oh, 
I'm already in a good mood. Sorry. The audience should know that I was just dancing and really smiling and Steve was just stink eyeing me. That's true. <laughs> he was not feeling any of the joy I was feeling. I like that the village uh, elder thinks that Shiva brought them, but that's never paid off. That, that's neither here nor there. What do you mean it's not paid off? Indy returns the kids to the village. But do you think that Shiva brought them there? Do you think they just crash landed, you know, and they flew out of a plane? We don't have time for that discussion, Steve. Because <laughs> I think they just fell out of a plane. But I wouldn't be opposed to a movie where I thought there was some divine, in you know, intervention here. I do like that they, for example, that like this idea in movies that archaeologists know everything there is to know about. He can read Sanskrit. <laughs> he can speak every language. By the way, we've only seen him deal with like antiquities at this point, you know, Western antiquities. And he's like, oh, is it a, uh, is it a soft stone with like a, oh, with three? I've seen stones like this. You have? <laughs> I guess he's seen everything. I don't really understand why they felt the need to give him a sidekick. Probably like, like mixing it up. I guess part of the problem with this is this movie is, it's not enough Indiana Jones. It's not enough Indy being Indy and ha Indy moments. It's just diluted by the time he's got, you know, all these other characters. I like some of their banter. I like that he plays poker with a nine-year-old like he's an adult. But I just don't understand why they felt the need to put that in a movie. Also, knowing that it's a prequel, knowing that Short Round's not going to be around three years later in, in 1939, it just doesn't really make sense to me. I, that is one of the interesting questions. I think one of the things they do to set up Indy and Temple as a continued empathetic guy is the fact that he's fostering this kid, but you never meet short round again. So you do, you yeah. do, you are left like what happened to short round? The problem is he's just sort of there. We don't see them become friends. They're already friends. Like there's no growth there. You know, there's no, I, I know when he's a zombie, he, he smacks him, but that he wasn't himself then. Like they start as friends and then they're friends the whole time. Like there's no ups and downs in that relationship. That relationship should be the same as a romantic relationship, just without, you know, the sexuality, but the love you, hate you, friends, not friends. I think it's more of a father-son relationship, no? I don't think they do a good job of that, if that is what it is. I mean, I think that's what they're going for. And I know I've talked at length about Willie Scott, but can you imagine if she was played by, say, Kathleen Turner? You know, someone with a lot more presence. Yeah, I, I know you can imagine Let it. me imagine it for a few minutes, too. <laughs> So, Keep going. Someone a lot more powerful, someone a lot more vulnerable, someone, you know, more rounded, smarter, etc. What about a young Jessica Lange? <laughs> I still don't think it would have worked. I think the character is so poorly written. I think to sum up, and I'll try not to beleaguer on her too much more, it's, I don't even know if it's 50% Kate Capshaw's fault. It might even be less. I think, it, I mean, the, the character is written is oh, yeah, so yeah, yeah. Horrible. I don't think you can put that on the shoulders of Kate Capshaw. But she makes it worse. However it is, she makes it worse. Part of the beauty of movies, and I think most people who love movies agree, is that these movies that we're aware we're watching movies, and as movie lovers we can see the cinema and see a little bit of strings, but they don't feel like they feel real. You sort of want to be aware you're watching a movie and get lost at the same time. Like, the, for me... Like, I want to, like, be aware of the cinema, but not so aware that that's all I'm thinking about. Just be caught up in the movie. Raised the Lost Ark, I'm caught up in from minute to minute. Like, I almost don't notice the great cinema in it. And, it, and that's a movie where every scene has got something interesting going on. Spielberg's so dialed in. Every shot's amazing. Every edit is great. Every sequence is great. I'm so caught up, and I don't even notice it's going on. In this movie, I'm constantly aware of the cinema. I just know the whole time I'm watching a movie. I can never get lost in it. You know, we talked briefly about the courtship scene, about like, 
you know, you'll be back in five minutes, whatever. Not only do I not like that scene because I don't think it's well done, and, and you and I talked about this off microphone, but screwball comedies are not not my thing, so maybe that's part of it. But also, more importantly, it has been 20 or 30 minutes at that point since the action scene. He has been in India for 20 or 30 minutes. And there's no You did mention four or five action scenes. That's what the movie has. Ray's Lost Ark is nonstop, or certainly feels like it is, even if it's not. When you think about it, you would go, that movie's nonstop action. Of course it's not. You know, there's dialogue scenes, there's romantic scenes, but it feels nonstop, full steam ahead, propulsive. This movie, after they fall out of the airplane, there's not an action scene until the guy attacks him in his room, and that's one guy, and that's not nearly enough. And then they go down through the secret passageway, and there's nothing else until, like, they get caught in that booby trap room, which is a good scene. But again, it's not, I'm like, there's 40 minutes without action scenes here, and it's just pure exposition, exposition and hijinks. And good screeners will tell you, you, you can't have 40 minutes of exposition and hijinks. Action scenes, plot points, character development, this movie has none of that. I wrote down in my notes, an hour in, this must be when they finally find, like, the thuggy coat. I wrote, finally a story, I guess. I also wrote these bad guys seem kind of cool. I don't know what that says about me. It feels very un-Indiana Jones for him to be in this for fortune and glory. It feels like he's taking the stones, he's after the stones for the wrong reason. I could be okay with that if that was the point of the movie, if this was the chapter in his life where he really stopped being a treasure hunter first and archaeologist second and became an archaeologist first and a treasure hunter second. But that, the movie doesn't attempt to do that. He's after fortune and glory. It's like they forgot who the character was. You know, he was always more interested in the pieces being in a museum. So much so that, you know, the other part of Last Crusade I don't really love is the extended opening sequence with young Indiana Jones. But they at least established that he always, except for this chapter in his life, obviously, was very true to archaeology and not to treasure hunting. This is one of those movies where the bad guys are there, and then when the script needs, Indiana Jones needs to be no bad guys, there's no bad guys. Have you ever seen anyone clear out of a room as fast as... They rip this guy's heart out. They sacrifice him, and then they everyone leaves. Where are you finding these? Indy, I love you. That's not really earned. I guess is my problem. I just don't know if I buy it. The only other thing that uh, I think we didn't pass on in my notes that stands out, and this is maybe minor, but it's one of those movie things. You know, short round is chained up with the same chains as every other Indi- as all the Indian kids. They all have pickaxes. Oh no! Totally. He's able to break his pick. That's pretty offensive. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I guess I guess they were too dumb to think about it, or their chains are stronger. I don't know, but it feels like they would someone of them would have tried it and gotten away. It's oh, a, totally. Yeah, and forget culture and time. It's just that kind of convenient writing that just is really hard to overlook in movies. <laughs> We don't know what happened to him in the first number of years of his life, but she, I guess, could have been his great adventure uh, up until that point, but clearly not greater than anything that happened to him in Raiders. Sure, but then none of them knew. It was a year before. So my closing statement here on Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom is, interestingly, I concede and take many of your points, and I just want to really quickly acknowledge them one more time. Willie Scott is easily the weakest of the Indiana Jones heroines of the first three movies. I think Crystal Skull almost doesn't feel like an Indiana Jones movie to me. I think that the script is a mess when you look at Raiders and you look at Last Crusade, which definitely have a narrative rigor that Temple of Doom doesn't. I also concede that 
Whereas in Raiders, there's character arcs, which are so intrinsic to good cinema, the characters in Temple uh, are static. I do think that that five or 10 minute sequence where Indy drinks the blood of Kali and is kind of zombified and then he's gonna kill Willie and Short Round and then Short Round, as I just played, wakes him up with love. Like up until that moment, you're sort of like, what's going on here? The movie feels pretty disengaged from Spielberg's point of view. It definitely feels like he's going through the motions. These things are true. Many of the things you said are true. And yet, and I want to say this right, because I actually do spend a lot of time in my head and I do spend a lot of time thinking about things. And I'm not anti-intellectual or anti-analytical or any of those things, because I tend to be fairly analytical about a number of things. But when it comes to film, my test is an instinctual, visceral test, which is, do I want to watch it again? And if I don't, then I have to ask myself, is it that I don't want to watch it again because it takes a lot of effort and work because it's a hard watch in an interesting way. It's about a topic that's rough to watch. Sure. It's three hours, but it's still a great movie, but it's just, I got to brace myself for it. Or do I not want to watch it because it doesn't work? And I think that we've all been in situations where people argue about albums and movies and books that you know don't work, but they somehow just like go to the mat for it because it's now become a cool thing to say, or it's there's a whole group of people that defend a movie or a book or an album because it's kind of a, a cultural badge of something. Or, you know, I think a lot of times people like movies, music, et cetera, because it's in their wheelhouse and on paper they should like it, but mm -hmm. it doesn't work. Right. There's yeah. certain movies that have all the hallmarks of something I should like. But if I don't like it, I don't like it. But there are other people who just will go to the bat and they'll defend it. You know, I have a friend who if the movie's got a sword fight in it, he likes it. You know, he just loves sword movies. There's a kind of work of art that is more interesting talking about than experiencing. And yeah. a lot of people make that mistake where they say, no, that's a great thing because I love talking about it. But then you say, let's put it on. Let's go experience it. Let's listen to it. And then people are like, ah, ah, ah. and all I can tell you is that I get nothing but pure joy out of Temple of Doom. I truly love watching it. I watch it, you know, once every two years minimum. I love filmmaking in it. I love aspects of it. I always discover new things in it. I think it's got great Spielberg filmmaking. I think it has some of his best filmmaking in, in certain instances of his middle period. I do love Ford in it. I love Short Round. I think there's enough of what Kate Capshaw is doing with Willie Scott that I'm not totally alienated by her character. Her character had to grow on me because I do remember the first time I saw it, I found Willie to be the most annoying thing in the movie. And I want to I be intellectually honest about that. I think you've just desensitized your brain to her. It could point. be. It could be that you just sort of know what you're in for. And you just go, oh, here it is. Because I definitely, I agree with your whole thing that like he leans into it too much. And you're like, ah. But in summation, the movie brings me a lot of joy. It feels like an indie movie, genuinely to me. It stays enough on formula to me in the best sense of the word that, and I've already said it, but I just will close with this. In the same way that I love Thunderball and You Only Live Twice, I love Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Is it as good as Raiders? Is it as good as Crusade? To me, that's like saying, is it as good as From Russia with Love? Is it as good as Honor Majesty's Secret Service, which I know you don't like, or uh, Casino Royale? No, but is it a worthy entry in the canon? Is there a lot in it that's enjoyable? Is there stuff that I'm always getting out of it? Yes, and I don't know what else to say other than 
this is a movie that I love watching, that I think is a lot of fun, that I think is is having a lot of fun. And as I already said, I think on some level, I appreciate the nightmarish qualities of it that Indiana Jones never allowed itself in its other incarnation. Actually, I think Raiders is pretty nightmarish in certain instances. And that's probably the best iteration of nightmarish. But it's nightmarish in a fascinating way to me, too. So all these things add up to a movie that I think is very good Spielberg film, a very good 80s action film action adventure and a movie that I really, really enjoy. And so I happily defend it. You know, even if I lose this debate, I'm going to watch Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom within a year. So I I don't know what else to tell you. I love the movie. That is, you're right. I'll say this. I think everyone who probably owned that VHS trilogy, as I see you do and as I used to do, that was the movie that got watched the least. It certainly was in my household, not just with me, but all my brothers. But again, like you said, that doesn't mean it's a bad movie, even if it's the least of the three, because the other two are, are great movies. And I do think that Last Crusade is, if not great, then very, very good. But it's a movie that I watched, you know, when I finally got into Indiana Jones once or twice, never watched again, watched the other ones. I always sort of wonder why. In my head, it was just a bad movie, but I couldn't remember it well. And when I caught it, Again, from the beginning, out of nowhere, just on TV as I was about to leave the house and saw the first 20 minutes, I was like, this is great. What am I thinking? And then when I watched it, the middle of it, or a good chunk of it, you know, a couple months ago in Texas, I was like, oh, no, this is bad. I kind of wanted to go, well, what is it about the movie that's so bad? Like, is it really that bad? Or is it just a letdown from the other two? And upon watching it these, again, in the last couple nights, I've decided that the movie is, I've doubled down on what I said. I think the movie is bad. Not to beleaguer, I don't already have, the Willie Scott character I think is so, so, so bad, so poorly written, so mind-boggling. I mean, she really is a really awful human being, I think. Maybe she's going through a bad time, Craig. But she has no, the character as presented, forget the performance, has zero redeeming qualities in my opinion, only bad qualities, which you go, why on earth would you write a romantic character like that? What were they thinking? Like, And she's in every scene. That character alone, I think, is enough to sink this movie. However, I think the movie is bad aside from her. I mean, I've rambled on and on about specific things, but he has no one interesting to talk to. He doesn't do anything interesting, in my opinion. He doesn't grow. He's into it for all the wrong reasons and not like he doesn't change his mind. It's an action movie with 45 minutes between action scenes. And I will say that when I watched it again, I was bored. And that's the main thing. I felt no joy from this movie. And it made the cardinal sin for an adventure movie of being boring. I was bored to death and annoyed. I'm sure you can figure out that's not a good combo for watching something. But I discovered so many more things I don't like about this movie by watching it closely with a pen and paper in hand and watching it in back-to-back nights that there's almost nothing I like about this movie. Of course, Steven Spielberg, like I said, has enough talent to make it feel like it works. And that's the thing. Most people go, yeah, it's not as good as the other, but you know, it still works. It feels like it works. Unless you really look at it deep and watch it close and you go, nothing about this movie works, in my opinion. And when I say nothing, of course, there's a couple sequences here and there, a little bit that. And again, most of the best sequences in this movie are actually left over from another movie. You know, you said that's not fair to critique it, but I do think it kind of is. Those sequences actually feel like they're in another movie. The main thing is it's a prequel. Why? Well, we know why, but they don't do anything with that. They take Indiana Jones, one of the most beloved characters in all of American cinema, and sandbag him with only boring characters. He has one interesting piece of dialogue, I think, conversation the entire movie. The bad guys are lame. 
They're not interesting at all. We have no idea who they are. They don't have any good dialogue. They don't come back. The most interesting bad guys are the Chinese bag henchmen in the beginning. Culturally insensitive, yes. But they were interesting at least. They Is that, come back. are they? I mean, Shanghai was known for its gangsters. I think the way they laugh gleefully is a little... Uh, but Lao Shea is pretty dope. Yeah, I, I like those guys. I wish they were in the movie. I would rather they be the bad guys in the movie, and the movie is about them. Um, there's so much going on in the movie, yet none of it's interesting. That's it. I think the movie's both boring and annoying. Okay. Now it's up to the audience to decide. As always, Stephen Grest brought the heat... Uh, he invented this whole series, Defend This Movie, and it's interesting. Both the ones that we have debated are the hot take ones. Like people either love Honor, Majesty, Secret Service, or they don't get it at all. Or people are really into Temple, or they don't get it at all. So I, I, those are two great examples of pop culture movies that actually I always think that the majority is on your side. Well, I think Honor, Majesty, Secret Service is kind of an inside baseball bond. Yeah. And I think that Temple of Doom, it's not an inside baseball indie, but I do think that people who defend Temple, they're, they're a certain kind of person because a lot of people are like, wow. I mean, even Spielberg says that Temple's a mess. I think most general moviegoers think that it's not that good of a movie. And then they're the defenders. I guess I think I... <laughs> On the extreme where I think it's worse than not that good. I think it's terrible. Hey, yikes. Uh, no, no, I got it. Uh, and uh, and we've already done it. Uh, you've pulled out a knife. Oh. <laughs> this is, we're taking the conversation to another level. We're going to decide this once and for all. That's right. <laughs> Steve Graham. Wow. Okay. Well, I'm going to record it. It'll make for good audio. I hope Connor finds the tapes. <laughs> Um, the, but Steve, it's always a joy. I, yeah. I, you know, you've been my friend for, for, you know, you and I have been friends for 25 years. I know it's a long time. Isn't that crazy to think that Crystal Skull came out 14 years ago? I remember that night, not like it was 14 years ago. Yeah. I don't really remember very much about the movie. You just remember all of us going back to my place and drinking and yeah. being like, what the f I think that night kind of broke you in a little bit way i remember you still had the faith there's no way they're gonna let us down I, uh, yeah up until the cgi gopher <laughs> up until two seconds yeah, up into until the movie. two seconds into the movie but the entire hour and a half we were waiting in line because i think we got there opening night we're waiting a long time unless oh, yeah. i'm confusing it with another night but you no, like, we know we you, did you, you, i think i was like i don't know and you were like no 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 spielberg's not gonna let us down you know, you didn't wait this long to put out a terrible movie. Oh, yeah. I was all unicorns. Harrison and, Ford's not going to let us down. I was all unicorns and rainbows. Yeah, two seconds in. Yeah, people should know that for Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, I was so excited that I invited all of you to the Vista for yeah. the premiere. I made Crystal Skull drinks. Oh, wow. Did you have one of those? I don't think so. Maybe I was running late. It was Gatorade that I just poured a ton of vodka into. <laughs> and then I put stickers of a skull and crossbones <laughs> on it. And I just was handing it out to people, which is probably illegal, in the line. And then we were all pounding them. And then we all went in chanting. And then we all sat down. And Paramount logo came up. Here it is. Crowd's cheering. Crowd's cheering. CGI gopher. Crowd goes, mm, well, what's, what's this? Uh -oh. <laughs> and then 10 minutes after that, he got into a fridge. Yeah. And it was a CGI fridge. And then they were like, uh-oh. And then it was just going to be like a mediocre to bad movie. And then he went to a graveyard with capoeira zombies. When you talk about Spielberg being disengaged, I had a friend who made a joke that the last hour of Crystal Skull just feels like ILM directed it. 
Yeah, like usually he finds at least one or two sequences he can find his sink his teeth into. No, you can tell. I mean, after the motorcycle chase at the university, there's nothing feels like remotely engaged in Spielbergian about it. All right. Well, anyway, uh, this has already become a two-hour podcast. Sorry, Connor. Uh, as always, I want to thank our, our audience. Uh, you can find out about everything we're doing on secretmovieclub.com. Write us a community at secretmovieclub.com. This podcast, as always, was edited by our chief creative content officer, Connor Lloyd Cruz, who's probably banging his head right now against the wall, wondering why this had to be two hours. Sorry, Connor. And that's it. Thank you, Steve. Sorry, Connor. I had 14 pages of notes. That's how much I hate the movie. Yeah, but you brought it, man. That's the kind of preparation I love. That's the adversary adversary you want. I may phone in certain things in my life, but not this, Craig. Not your hate. Not your hate for Temple of Doom. (laughs) Uh, I just also want to let the audience know that next week, Secret Movie Club Podcast 134 is going to be a little winter break catch-up where me, Edwin, Craig, and Daniel all get together and talk about all the stuff we've been doing because it's been like a month and a half since we recorded and talked to each other. We have all sorts of, you know, movies we've seen, probably. Presumably. All right, thank you, Steve. No problem. Okay, love you, Kevin. Steve and Dominic Grest, right? No. How do you get the middle name Dominic? I just thought that's not my middle name. Oh, no, don't, don't. Stephen Gregory Grest. Yes. Sorry. How do you get the middle name Gregory? I don't know. What? That's never been explained to you in your 45 years of existence? Uh, if it is, I forget. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I think it sounded good. Okay. Wow. Okay. No, hey, fair enough. I'm named after my dad and my granddad. So that's I. that was kind of easy.